Mike Rags and Todd Burlage with a Blue Gold Report podcast. Fighting Irish sports from the inside out. Subscribe to the Blue Gold Report. It's not just talk, it's the Blue Gold Report. Welcome to another edition of Blue Gold Report. I'm Todd Burlage. I will be hosting today. I'm going to bring in a good friend of the show, Mason Plummer. You can find him at Mason Plummer 6 on Twitter. You can also find his work on SlapTheSign.com. He does a wonderful job there. He previews all the Notre Dame games and has some opinion pieces as well. As always, we are brought to you by D.O. McComb Son Funeral Homes in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Welcome, everybody, to the show. Uh, Mason, I'm going to bring you in right away because we have a little breaking news that you're on top of. I'll give you a show outline here shortly, but we wanted to hit this right away. Mason, tell everybody what's going on just as we're getting ready to record this. Yeah, so we were going over the show outline and, you know, just texting back and forth, and all of a sudden we got hit with an absolute bombshell. Um, Notre Dame junior wide receiver Michael Young is set to enter the transfer portal this season, which would, which would mean he's effectively redshirting after his injury. So likely won't see any more Michael Young this season, and he's more than likely gone from Notre Dame after he enters the transfer portal uh, after the season. So crazy news. Yeah, typically once you're in, you're not coming back out. I've noticed that for sure. Why do you, what do you think drove this, Mason? Well, I think the injury really threw him off track. He was set to be the number two wide receiver next to Claypool, and that really had a lot of people, including myself, excited for the passing game this season. But the injury kind of threw him off, and when a guy's out, there has to be a replacement. It's the next man up mentality. That's at Notre Dame, and it's at every, it's at every school. It's at every football team. And uh, Braden Lindsay's been impressive. His speed is just unreal, and it's hard to keep that off the field, the game-breaking plays he can make. And uh, Young hasn't got too many looks this season, but when he has, he hasn't done a lot with it. So he must think that there's, you know, the grass is always green on the other side, so that's where he's going. Yeah, indeed, indeed. So some tough news there for that Notre Dame passing game for sure. All right, we're going to break down a lot of different things for you. We, at least we got the breaking news out of the way. Obviously a big weekend, big game at Michigan, longtime rivalry. We're going to talk about that get into some specific matchup type of things, a little bit of the history of this and, and what it means, all those types of things. I want to revisit Ian Book again because I was able to catch up with him uh, this week and kind of try to pin him down a little bit on some of the criticism and see how he answers his critics here when it comes to bailing out of the pocket too soon and the downfield looks and whatnot that I think he has not delivered on this year. Uh, just his improvement in general. I had a chance to sit down with him for a little bit. Mason has a little bit of recruiting news and then uh, we'll give our predictions at the end. But as we start off every show, well, let's start with three pack of blue gold nuggets, little hoops news. Kelly Trapuca, I know Mason doesn't remember him, but I sure as heck do. He played for Notre Dame from 77 to 1981. He will be inducted into the Purcell Pavilion Ring of Honor. That will happen on February 1st of 2020, halftime of the Georgia Tech game. Trapuca was a three-time All-America here. Actually, he still is the 12th leading scorer of all the time. He had 1,719 points. No three-point line back then. I think he would have had more than that because it was very much a versatile two-guard. He played in probably the best four-year stretch of Notre Dame basketball when you really look at it. Although, I don't know, you could argue with that Demetrius Jackson class up here more recently. Uh, but Trapuca's four-year class went 92-26, and 26, made the NCAA tournament all four times, uh, and had a 11 wins over top 10 teams. So pretty solid stuff there. Moving on to some football news. For the third straight year, the Notre Dame offensive line has been named to the midseason watch list for the Joe Moore Award. That list was t- trimmed down to 24 teams this week. Notre Dame won that award two years ago, and obviously it, it it's, has a really good chance, I think, of winning it again this year. 
ranked number one, according to Pro Football Focus, in terms of pass efficiency blocking. And trust me, they are going to need every single bit of it here against Michigan. And finally, on the injury front, some pretty good news here. Jafar Armstrong, who was used sparingly, didn't have any carries against USC, but at least had a little bit of game action. And then you get the bye week. Brian Kelly said he's full go, and he's going to be a very big part of the game plan this week. And it's easy to see him, you know, it's it's easy to see why they were kind of able to move him along slowly with the work Tony Jones Jr. has given him. Three straight 100-yard games, including the 176 career high versus USC uh, for Jones. A little bit more injury news. This one's a little bit grayer, not exactly sure what's going on, but defensive back Sean Crawford. He's been doing a lot, seven-on-seven drills, one-on-one drills, two-minute drills in practice. Brad Kelly said he looks really good, and his quote was, I think he'll be very effective and play quite a bit. So it sounds like Sean Crawford's going to be in the mix as well. Probably not to the extent that uh, Jafar Armstrong will be, and those are your blue-gold nuggets. All right, Mason, let's break it down. Big game here, obviously. The, the Probably, I would think most would agree, the second toughest on the schedule here. And a tough place to win. I want to get into atmosphere in here, here in a little bit. But uh, Jim Harbaugh is 28-4 and four at home. He takes a lot of heat. You know, he's been on the hot seat and whatnot. There's always a lot of rumblings because I don't think he does a terrific job on the road and loses some big games. But he is 28-4 and four, uh, since 2015 when he took over this program. And there's only two losses. This is probably why fans grumble a lot. Two of them to Ohio State and two of them to Michigan State. And uh, Michigan fans don't appreciate that too much. Notre Dame has lost four straight at the big house and seven of eight, Mason. Well, what's what's your feeling on this rivalry and, and, and just really your gut feeling on how this might go? Well, there's no doubt that Michigan plays very well at home and essentially Harbaugh is coaching for his job. So those two things together are scary for Notre Dame. And uh, Michigan played a very good second half against Penn State, so they're coming in with some confidence. You know, before that Penn State game, they were kind of down, and, um, you know, there's a, there was a decent chance. A lot of people thought that they might get blown out by Penn State. You right. know, Penn State at home with that crowd, and uh, Michigan played well, and they were a drop touchdown away from potentially winning that game. So I think they're coming in with confidence, and Harbaugh will have them ready to go, and they, they play significantly better at home. So Notre Dame's got to be, be ready to play. You wrote your game preview for Slap the Sign, and what jumped out of you as far as maybe player-on-player matchup or unit-on-unit matchup? What, if you kind of had to pick out a couple keys uh, from that standpoint, what would it be? Well, with uh, one of the things I highlight in my game day primer is the weather, and the weather, it, it, you could ask for better. Uh, it's going to be freezing cold with some rain. Right. So, I mean, that's not ideal from their name passing game. So, it's essentially Ian Book versus the, the Michigan uh, pass defense. Ian Book's got to be effective, and throwing the ball in the rain and the cold isn't easy, but Notre Dame's going to have to move the ball vertically and not just rely on the run, although I do see the Notre Dame offensive line, as you were saying, being a strength and potentially being one of the best in the nation, so they should be able to dominate anybody, but um, we also need to be able to throw the ball, and we'll see how Ian Book handles that. Yeah, and it's interesting because when you look at Michigan, talking about a team that likes to disrupt with its pass rush versus the most steady blocking line against a pass rush. So something has to give there, you would think. I think one of the top storylines here has to be atmosphere, the atmosphere up there at the big house. It's going to be a raucous crowd, even though they are coming off that 28-21 loss to Penn State and have two losses already this year, which obviously would take them out of any playoff consideration. But still, there's a lot to play for. As you mentioned again, Mason, Harbaugh's job being one of them. But the two, when I look at atmosphere, the two recent games that stand out to me in Notre Dame's failings were the Georgia this this past, or earlier this season, 
uh, where Notre Dame actually had three penalties on his first nine snaps and finished that game with 12 costly penalties, including a couple 15-yarders for 85 yards. Did not handle that crowd noise well. They were really struggling. Some ill-advised timeouts that they didn't want to use as well. And then I have to go back to 2017 in the Miami game when really Notre Dame was beaten before they even got off the bus. And once they got on the field, it was uh, four turnovers and a 41-8 drubbing, which, again, they couldn't handle the crowd noise. Mason, do you think uh, Brian Kelly fell on his sword in both those games, said, that's my fault, that's my fault, I didn't coach him up. Do you think Notre Dame's going to be able to sort of flip that light switch and handle this crowd noise they're going to be up against? Well, Kelly, when he uh, talked this week, he seemed to come out and say that you know, that he's done everything he can to prepare the team, whether that's uh, Ian Book and his snap cadence or what. But um, so it seems like he's kind of stepping away from the blame at this point if something were, were to go wrong. And uh, you've got to imagine that they're going to have some things fixed. Like Liam Eikenberg, that, those are inexcusable. But right. Cole Komet coming back against Georgia, he had three false starts, I believe. That's not going to happen again. I think that was down to jitters, which doesn't make it okay. But um, that, I'm sure that's not going to happen from a veteran leader like Komet. But also, I think I think the crowd will be raucous to begin. But I, if things go ugly for them quickly, I could I could definitely see the crowd start to boo and turn on its own team. Um, they're they're coming in. The Michigan crowd's coming in expecting a win. And if that doesn't go their way, if it gets ugly in the first half, I could very easily see them turning on their own team and uh, almost cheering for Notre Dame at that point. They've given up on the season with three losses, so. Uh, yeah, if things get ugly, we'll see what happens. Yeah, that's probably a good point. I know that's a good point, actually. If Notre Dame can jump on them early, I don't disagree with you at all, especially if it's cold and rainy. Folks might even say, you know what, <laughs> let's let's check out and get to a bar for this one. Yeah, I, I totally agree yeah, no with kidding. you there in, in that if Notre Dame can take them out early, I think that'll make a big difference for sure. So I, obviously that goes to quick start, which would be an important factor. kind of wanted to ask Brian Kelly just a general question. Okay, we're, we're now halfway home, starting the second half of the season here. Just kind of, we just sort of asked Brian Kelly in general where he feels his team is, and here's what he had to say. I think our our ability to prepare on a consistent basis, um, our guys really stick to our process, which tends to um, show a, a consistency to your football team. Um, it takes out a lot of the guesswork, in, in a sense, as coaches, we know what we are going to expect, so it allows us to play to our strengths and, and um, uh, know where our weaknesses are. Um, and, and that's important because you can't be somebody that plays up and down each and every week. Uh, and I think that's our strength is that we're a pretty consistent team from week to week. Um, and, and, and within that, uh, you can um, certainly know yourself better. And because of that, um, you know, you're, you're, you're better able to handle uh, where, where you may be um, short in some areas. Okay, Mason, so Brian Kelly likes uh, the, the, the chemistry and his team's sort of hard work ethic, and I get it. They really haven't been rattled much this year. They haven't really been challenged a whole heck of a lot, perhaps the, having to come from behind uh, against Virginia in the second half, which they did a fabulous job of. And, and then, of course, the Georgia game when they had a chance with the game-winning drive. But all in all, it has that this team has stayed very much even keel, perhaps other than one guy. <laughs> That's my segue there, Mason. Uh, Ian Book. And again, against USC, I think it was more of the same. The numbers weren't all that bad, but you, you just the, it's the eye test, Mason, that I struggle with a little bit with him. You know, it, when he gets against good defenses, 
it really is a struggle for him. And this is going to be probably the best defense he's going to face. Okay, so the critiques against Ian have been really threefold. Not taking enough pops downfield, his arm strength, and his pocket poise. Okay, there's not a whole lot at this point we're going to do about arm strength, but certainly the shots downfield are of note. Tyler James of the South Bend Tribune this week did an interesting breakdown, and he said that against Virginia and USC, two solid defenses, obviously, Book went only 3 of 12 for 43 yards when he was under pressure. That included five sacks. And he also went on to say in this piece that Book only has three completions the entire season where the ball traveled more than 30 yards. Okay, so when I look at Michigan, I think, here's your chance. Okay, this this is your chance to prove all the critics wrong because you're going to have an aggressive defense um, that's going to be blitzing, coming after you. So are you going to be able to stay in? handle the pocket pressure, and do your thing. And you have to because the way Michigan plays defense with all that blitzing, stacking the box to stop the run, it's all one-on-one in the outside, Mason. So you're going to have to take your shots. Is Book going to be up to this challenge? I'd like to think he will be, but I, tomorrow will be a telling telltale sign. Um, Nerdin has the receivers to beat Michigan down the stretch and beat them vertically. But, uh, yeah, if they stack the box, they're going to make Ian Book beat them. Michigan's not dumb, and neither right. Tom Brown, their defensive coordinator. They know what they know what Ian Book likes to do, and what he doesn't, what he doesn't like to do, and what he doesn't like to do is throw the ball deep. And uh, going back to what you said about the, the eye test, you're absolutely right, and that you know you don't see it necessarily on the stat sheet, but even when he has a clean pocket, Ian Book just has the has happy feet constantly, and uh, you know it's a clean pocket, and he decides to run, and sometimes that works. You know that's part of his game is, sure. is running and that highlight that will be highlighted in his audio clip, but uh, he's running at the wrong time. Sometimes or taking losses when he doesn't need to, or not keeping his eyes downfield where you have a Cole Komet streaking down the seam. So, uh, you know, there's, there's times to run and there's times to pass and, you know, he doesn't seem to have that figured out quite yet. Yeah, exactly. And you think he would by now, let's go ahead. We'll pop in that audio clip that Mason referenced there because it was a chance for me to sit down I've been wanting to get my hands on him in kind of that setting and just flat out ask him to answer his critics, and here's how he did so. Ian, where are you th- this time this year compared to this time last year? I feel like I've made some really big strides, um, really just football IQ in general, um, and then chemistry with all the guys as well. But there's so much more to learn, and there's mistakes every game that I really focus on with Coach Reese to get better at. Uh, but I feel like I've made some really good tries in some, some, some areas, yeah. I guess fair or not, it's out there on the message boards, it's out there on the internet, they, you still get kind of picked on about pocket poise and mm-hmm. getting out too quick. How would you yeah. respond to that? Um, yeah, it's one of my, part of my, part of my game is being able to, um, you know, extend the play and, and get the ball out there. So I don't want to lose that, but at the same time, there's times I need to work on being, being in the pocket and delivering the ball, no doubt. So, um. I don't listen to anyone who says any of that, really, so it doesn't really bug me. But at the same time, I'm listening to what's going on in here about, you know, what I can improve on. So, um, But I don't want to lose any of my ability of being able to extend the play. Uh, it's the quarterback I am. But um, at the same time, there are times I should stay in there and make the right throw. You know, Mason, again, I'm going to go back to it because I, I wrote quite a bit about it this week, and I think it's an important point. This really is... Ian Book's chance to shine here um, because everything that Michigan's going to throw at him goes to what he's struggled in. And and just look at the Penn State game, okay? Penn State against Michigan, the Nittany Lions managed only 283 yards of offense, okay? The 194 of those yards came on only six plays. So Michigan does have a propensity to give up the big plays, and that's where Notre Dame's going to have to take advantage. But again, six plays accounted for 100 
Uh, 194 of the 283 yards, and those included three touchdown passes from Sean Clifford. Those 3D ta- three TD passes averaged 32 yards and included a 53-yarder. Um, so again, Michigan gives up a lot of big plays, and that's going to be something that Notre Dame's going to have to take advantage of. And even if you go back to the Wisconsin game, Wisconsin had 14 plays of elite. This was a bad loss for, for Michigan, and we all remember. Wisconsin had 14 plays of at least 10 yards and eight for at least 18 yards. I'm just a little skeptical that Notre Dame has the ability to make these big plays because we just haven't seen them much this year. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And, you know, the the traditional big play where he's throwing it, throwing it downfield just isn't coming, and the big plays that you see have come against New Mexico and Bowling Green where right, it's right. A little, that little touch pass or whatever, and that counts for Ian Book's stats when it really shouldn't. It's more of a handoff. Or you see it's a little screen or a slant, and a guy like Javon McKinley makes five dudes miss and scores. So those are categorized as big plays, but it's more down to an individual player rather than getting the ball deep and really having a connection. So, Well, it's interesting because, as you mentioned, you know, you were talking about a guy that's only thrown three completions where the ball traveled 30 yards, yet Ian Book ranks 31st in the country in yards per completion, and that goes to exactly what you're talking about. It's been a lot of dink and dunk passes, little crossing routes that his receivers have just garnered huge amounts yards after catch. And so, you know, that's not necessarily a knock. He's taking what's there for him, but he's going to have to take what's there for him this game, and that's going to be over the top, I think, Mason. Yeah, I think so, too. Don Brown likes to he likes to bring guys in, in numbers and bring the blitz, and Ian Book knows that. He's had some experience against Michigan, so it, it's going to be a matter of how the offensive line giving him time to throw, Ian Book relaxing in the pocket, and then finding his receiver deep. The Michigan secondary is okay. It's You know, it's not great by any means. And who's going to be Chase Claypool or Javon McKinley on a on a fifty fifty ball, or getting Braden Lindsey in space? And who's going to bring him down when he's running full speed? So it, it's a matter of your matchups against their matchups and getting your guys the ball. I certainly think those fifty fifty balls are going to be key because there's going to be plenty of them. You have a feeling. Um, so hopefully McKinley and uh, Claypool can get up and get them. And that goes to Ian Book standing in there and making those plays. If you're throwing downfield. You can't bail quickly because those take a few seconds to develop. When you think about Michigan and Notre Dame, is it's been on and off, obviously, especially here recently, uh, the series has. Where do you, Mason, sort of rate this as a rivalry? Do you consider this a big rivalry? And if so, why? I absolutely do, and mainly that's due to the proximity of the, of the schools. Um, I was talking to uh, one of my buddies that slapped a sign that writes with me, Nathan Erbach. He lives out in Vegas. And he was saying that the Michigan rivalry ranks a little bit lower for him just because of the proximity to him and uh, and USC. So it's it's all about the fans, really, in this. You know, I I know a lot of Michigan fans, and the sure. trash talk back and forth between fans is, is always real. And not so much in USC. You don't have a lot of USC fans around this area. So it's a lot, a lot of it's down to the proximity. And unfortunately, both teams aren't like top 10 teams perennially as they used to be. But... It'd be, glad, it'd be good to see them get back to that point, but it's always a good game regardless. And two uh, college football blue bloods, blue bloods, no doubt. Did a point-counterpoint with my editor, Lou Samoji, on this one. Um, the question was, do you think Michigan should be an annual opponent in the way Stanford, USC, and Navy are? Should they be added to the schedule every year, or should they mix and match the Big Ten teams and just bring them on occasionally? I'll throw that question at you. Yeah, I think Michigan has to be every year. This is a rivalry the fans love, the players love, and uh, it brings in a lot of viewership as well. And 
I don't know why they wouldn't be. And like I said, you know, both teams are still going to be ranked every year. They may not be the top 10 teams or top five teams that they used to be back in the 80s and 90s. But, uh, yeah, I think absolutely Michigan has to be on the schedule every year. Yeah, obviously it's a tough call for Notre Dame to fit them in, especially once I mentioned those three. My, what my proposal when I did this point-counterpoint is perhaps with the way the game has changed and revenue has changed and attention has changed and evolved – Maybe it's time to get rid of Navy as an every-year opponent. I get all the tradition. I get World War II and all that good stuff and how Navy saved Notre Dame's bacon. I understand all this, but I'm not saying you have to permanently remove Navy altogether. But why not mix them in? I mean, you know, hell, meet them in Dublin if you need to. But I just feel like Navy could sort of be cycled in and out where I'd love to see a Michigan on the schedule every year. Because for one thing, I think it's important for both schools when it comes to recruiting is to play each other. And there's another nice segue right there, Mason, because I want to get your take on on some of the recruiting. Let's start with this weekend. I know Michigan and Notre Dame are constantly locking horns over a lot of the same guys. And let's see, there were a couple offensive linemen uh, from outside of Detroit, Rocco Spindler and Garrett Dellinger. They're from the same high school. Those guys, uh, both schools hot and heavy on these two offensive linemen. What else, What's what other areas can you maybe address that and what other areas can we look for to take for takeaways from this weekend when it comes to recruiting yeah so the, the two you hit on uh Rocco and Garrett Dellinger um yeah both studs but you know and they're teammates and they're good friends but uh, a lot of people don't believe they'll end up at the same school you know you'd think that guys being good friends like hey man like let's go to the same school right, I don't think it's right. gonna happen and it seems like they both narrowed it down to Notre Dame and Michigan so it seems as if um, Notre Dame is really more interested in Spindler. He's he's got a way bigger upside than Dellinger. Dellinger would be an, like a, a decent college player, but uh, if if Notre Dame was to lose to Michigan with Spindler, then it seems like they would take their attention elsewhere for Dellinger. So Spindler's number one, Dellinger's number two. Um, outside of that, Notre Dame lost to Michigan in the recruitment of uh, AJ Henning, and that doesn't seem to be quite over. He, uh, he did commit to Michigan, but, you know, there's been rumblings and uh, potentially if Notre Dame goes into the big house and beats Michigan, then, you know, maybe he, maybe he uh, decides to open it back up. You never know. And uh, with Michael Young leaving, that opens up another spot on the depth chart. And A.J. Henning's a stud, so we'll have to see what happens with that. Well, you talked about, when you talk about Michael Young moving on, uh, we got kind of cut off last week. We were talking some recruiting, and we didn't get a chance to get to wide receiver Deion Colsey. You mentioned maybe Michael Young looking over his shoulder a little bit. First of all, Lindsey on the same team and Jordan coming in and Colsey now coming in up the line a little bit. But give us your take on Deion Colsey. Yeah, I love Deion Colsey as a recruit. And as we were saying with Lorenzo Styles last week, that pulling Lorenzo Styles out of Ohio State country is notable, but pulling Deion Colsey out of Athens, Georgia, is ridiculous. Right. Colsey was it Colsey was in the stands in the Georgia section when Notre Dame lost to Georgia. So some outstanding recruiting to pull him to Notre Dame. Colsey is much more is much more likely to stay on the wide receiver position, un, unlike Styles, who I think will end up as a DB. But according to twenty four seven Sports, they have Deion Colsey as the fifty one fifty first ranked national recruit and the seventh wide receiver. So this kid are a stud, and uh, we're not going to get to see him for a few years. He's the class of twenty twenty one, so we're not probably going to see him until you know twenty twenty two, twenty twenty three. But uh, Notre Dame's recruiting the skill positions at a level we haven't seen in a long time, so it's uh, it's good to see and getting getting the guys ball in space, the ball in space, and just having better athletes than uh, other teams is is really key. 
Yeah, truly, uh, really humming along here in recruiting, especially at the skill positions. And there, there is a little bit, there's, when we're talking about recruiting and, and Michigan versus Notre Dame, certainly there are some ties here, especially on the defensive line. Unfortunately, Daylon Hayes, um, who's a Michigan kid, he won't be able to play, but he was a five-star recruit coming out of Michigan, actually, that Notre Dame was able to snag away um, from the Wolverines. And then, obviously, Khalid Kareem, uh, another guy that was highly rated and highly recruited that Notre Dame was able to pull out of the Mitten State. Uh, so a little bit of Michigan ties there. Mason, this baby hummed along here. We're already to prediction time. That, that, that moved fast, moved very fast. Let's start with you. Tell me a score. Tell me why. Tell me what's going to happen. All right, so we have a weekly article at Flat to Find with all the contributors there, and we always give our predictions. And uh, in that article, I let's say I wrote it up yesterday. I wrote, I got 2013. I think it's going to be a slugfest. You know, I, we highlight it's going to be cold and wet, and I think it'll be close throughout. And I think Nerdin breaks away with a late touchdown, and then uh, you know maybe a maybe a late turnover and to seal the game. I think it's close, but I have Notre Dame winning by seven, twenty to thirteen. What about you, Todd? Well, let, let me let me throw. I was going to do a follow up real quick, Mason. Um, do you think it's done? Do you similar to maybe a Virginia or a USC for that matter, where Notre Dame takes control again on on the ground late in the game, or do you think a lot of this falls on book throughout the game? I think it's going to be a little bit of both. You have definitely have to establish the running game so they can't just bring everybody towards book, or you need to keep them honest with their secondary as well. And that's going to be Book trying to get the ball downfield, and we'll see if that happens. But, um, yeah, I, I could see Notre Dame trying to, trying to run up the clock in the second half. And Clark Lee and Chip Long are both great at making second-half adjustments. So the first half, I, I see it as maybe like a 10-7 going into halftime, and both teams try to feel each other out rather than just going done blazing. And then, but I think Notre Dame has the advantage at, uh, at the coordinator position, both of them. So, and they're like I said, they're both great at making second half adjustments. So I think the second half will be all Notre Dame. Yeah, we've seen a lot of that this year for sure, where these guys have done a nice job. I mean, Virginia sticks out big time more than any game uh, where the adjustments have come into play, and, and Notre Dame's done a good job. Mason, I mentioned earlier in the show, Jim Harbaugh eighteen and four at the Big House since his arrival in two thousand fifteen. Brian Kelly is nineteen and two during his career off a of bye week. So again, <laughs> something has to give here. Only two teams have beaten Harbaugh at Michigan Stadium. Ohio State arrival, Michigan State arrival. Notre Dame puts itself on that list of three teams. It's going to be an epic game. This thing's been kind of funny to watch. Vegas, watch it move. It's been one point today, Michigan favored. One point, Notre Dame favored the next day. So it's basically a pick game. I'm going to keep it that way and say Notre Dame 24-23. Mason, I better wrap it up here before we start running over. Mason Plummer, you can find him at Mason Plummer 6 on Twitter, slapthesign.com. Check him out. He's a terrific writer and a wonderful friend of the show. Mason, thanks for sitting in, man. Yeah, thanks for having me, Todd. Appreciate it. And again, brought to you by Deal McComb & Son. We will talk to you all next week. Thanks for joining us. Hopefully we're celebrating a Notre Dame win over Michigan. Peace, y'all. This has been a presentation of Opt-In Productions. Podcasts by Federated Media. Podcasts by Federated Media.